This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my gleeful co-host, Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? I knew I used gleeful before, but it's a feeling. Yes, it is. And that's important for this episode. It is. We are talking about feeling your feelings and letting kids feel their feelings. Yes, because there is so much guilt and so much frustration around feelings, Yeah, I think, as a parent. I think because we were taught that you need to be happy all the time and you need to be smiling all the time and don't make other people uncomfortable by, quote unquote, burdening them with your feelings. Don't be a Debbie Downer. Don't be a... Oh, my gosh. How often have we heard that? But really, when we try to stuff those feelings and when we try to really minimize our kids' feelings, it creates a lot of mental stress, a lot of mental anguish. Right. Those meltdowns and those breakdowns that they have that we're trying to avoid, we just make them worse. We make them worse. And so today's guest is Marcel Waldman. She is the mom of two, and she's an early childhood educator. And she's also the creator and owner of something really cool called Feel Links, Feeling Plush Dolls and Journal Set. Educating parents and caretakers on the importance of building emotional intelligence in our children and ourselves. And she has some tips on how you can build emotional intelligence in your kiddo. And uh, enjoy our interview with Marcel. A few years ago, when we had so much going on in our house, uh, my husband Josh and I had a conversation about like the things in our house we can outsource. Mm-hmm. Things like cleaning the house and laundry was brought up. And at first, I was really, really resistant because I was like, who does it? Who's touching my underwear? And it's like, (laughs) good point. Will I get all my clothes back? And so we didn't do it at that time. But just recently, we found out about Hamper. Hamper is phenomenal, right? Like, yeah, it's the Uber 
of laundry. It is the Uber of laundry. And I am now on my second hamper. Like we just got our second hamper back. And the process is so easy. We literally like just, we go on the app, we schedule our pickup, we tell them how we want our clothes cleaned, like specifications. And that's all there in the app. So easy to use. They pick it up, they bring it back a day later, washed, dried, folded, perfectly. I have to say folded is my favorite part. I can handle throwing it in the washer. I can handle throwing it in the dryer. But the folding part is what gets me. And I think with a lot of our friends, it does. It does. Like raise your hand if your stuff sat in the uh, dryer for more than a day because you're like, oh, oh, mine sits in laundry baskets in my room for like a week or more. Right. The idea of opening it and having to fold everything is just. But we got our hamper back and all I did was I took the basket into my closet and it went right from the hamper into my drawers. It was unloaded that day because it was so, so easy. And I didn't worry about my laundry getting lost because Hamper gives you alerts like when your laundry's picked up, when it comes back, it tells you all about your washer and their name and you get to personally communicate with them. I mean, it was phenomenal. It couldn't be much easier, more secure. And I have to say, it's one of my favorite outsourcing now. This has taken so much stress off my shoulders. It's insane. It I, is. I love Hamper. I love Hamper. It's pretty amazing. So if you want to try out Hamper for yourself, which we totally recommend you do, use the code NOGUILT50. That's NOGUILT50 for 50% off new memberships. And you can check out our show notes for the link and all the info you need to start using Hamper. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome, Marcel, to the No Guilt Mom podcast. We are so, we're so happy to have you here and talk everything emotions. So welcome. I am so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Kind of want the Mariah Carey song, the emotion song that I will not even attempt to sing because there's so many high Why notes in there. Why am I blinking? I've got you feeling emotions. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do not even. Don't even. I was going to say, I've heard you two sing it out a few times. So, <laughs> ouch. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little scary. But I am hearing our that. Editor I am auto-tune. hearing that thing where she does like the couple of octaves, like, oh, in my yeah. head. Like, yeah, no, I we won't keep that. We won't attempt that. We won't attempt that. I only sing for kindergartners, so don't ask me. Hey, I, I'm early childhood, so like again, that like zero to four year olds, they don't care. No, they can be off no. key, don't matter. So I used to be a fifth grade teacher, and we used to take our fifth graders to camp every year, and they were having a hard time falling asleep. I sang to an entire bunk of fifth grade boys. Oh, wow, that's like the that hardest takes audience. Wow. it's really hard. And did they go to bed? That's the question. They did go to bed. There you go. Well, I was surprised it even worked, but they they liked it. (laughs) It home. It felt like, you know, parents at home, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you and uh, your story. Okay. Well, I grew up in the Seattle area, so I'm actually back there now. So it kind of took me back full circle, but I grew up in a household with my brother and my mom. And we lived kind of in a high socioeconomic area. 
However, our family didn't really feel like we fit into that mold. And um, we were in a bit of survival mode growing up with a single mom. And, um, you know, we had, I guess, some, you know, mental health challenges in our household. We had some behavior stuff. And I think a lot of those things sort of stemmed from the life that we were you know, living and just trying to, like I said, you know, navigate our everyday. And we went to school with a lot of students that um, means were quite larger than ours. And so, you know, I would say the idea of all of that really plays into where I am today in my life. And so I just really wanted to start there because that all, like I said, really brought me full circle to where I am today. So growing up, um, like I said, I lived in this small community, and then I went off to college, and I was the first one in my family to go. So and you came <laughs> out was, here to Arizona. I did. I am a wildcat. I went to University of Arizona. I won't hold that against you. I know. <laughs> I know. It's your hometown. It might not be no, it's my, it's school, my hometown. But... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The ASU and me just like it, it just comes I know. out. It just goes. <laughs> I, I gotcha. I gotcha. I hear it all the time over here in Seattle between the Wazoo and the UW. So I get it. I don't live in it every day, but yes, I, I gotcha. Yeah. And lucky for me, I actually was able to study elementary education, which is exactly what I wanted to do. And I was still dancing. I grew up taking mostly ballet. So I was able to do that in college hit tons of psychology courses and found my husband. <laughs> so I promised my mother when college was over, as long as I was out of state, I would come back to her. And so we moved back here to the Seattle area and um, built our life and built our home. And I taught kindergarten for eight years at the preschool level as well. And I now have a nine-year-old and 11-year-old. I have one daughter, one son, and uh, we're hitting the tween years, which is, you know, super fun. Mm. And um, we're enjoying our summer, which is great. And I just uh, launched my own business. So I created a little social emotional toolkit for young children called Feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's where I am today. Now, Yay. when when you started uh, Feelings, you noticed that something was missing in education, right? I did. I taught kindergarten for a while. And when I first started teaching, we didn't really have a social emotional curriculum. So it was a lot of reading books and pulling things from all different places. And there are so many amazing books out there that help, you know, picture books and things that help us talk about that with children. But I also felt like, where's like my curriculum? I have a math curriculum. I have a reading curriculum. I have a writing curriculum. But where is this social emotional curriculum? So I remember one of the first things I tried to do was teaching kids about feelings. I found this online. I took a tube of toothpaste and I squeezed it. And every time you squeeze it, it's like those feelings and how that's hurtful and how we can hurt other people by our words and our actions. But then you try and have the kiddo come up and you put that back in and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so getting kids to really see it and feel it and touch it and it be tangible was really important that like our feelings we can repair, but it doesn't always go away mm -hmm. and how important that is. So just making my own toolbox of what that all looked like over the years, you know, and then we did finally receive kind of that curriculum piece, but just knowing that, you know, we had students with autism, 
specifically at our school, we had a program. And so I went out and was like, I got to get all these books and I have to learn how to teach these children. And they're all unique. They have different needs, but so do all of my typical learners. Mm -hmm. And so I realized they all need this. They all need to know how to ask someone to play. They all need to know how to break through a group. They all need to know what to do when they've hurt somebody's feelings. And they also need to understand how they feel because learning isn't really going to come if we don't have that ready to go feeling either. Mm -hmm. So as a teacher, those were the things I felt like were missing. And I found a way to kind of replace those. And yeah, so that was kind of where, you know, reflecting back now, it's like, this is where I am today, because I really felt like we needed something and also that bridge at home, which is super important. Yeah, I see the need for it as well, like here at No Goat Mom. But like when I was in the schools, I mean, all the kids got for social emotional learning was once a month, the school counselor would come in and do a lesson. But wait, and, you're and, l- that's, and that's if you're lucky enough to have a school that had a school counselor. That's if you're lucky enough right. to have one. Or they gave us like this bully prevention program. And I'm blanking on the name right now. But it was like so unengaging. And like as right. my daughter's favorite word right now, cringy, the videos to watch. <laughs> <laughs> that like, no, the kids like they didn't really learn from it. So right. I think it, I think it's so important what you're doing. I also think that we're kind of the first generation who's realizing that kids need this because when we're yes. on the playground, I mean, the big saying, those sticks and stones would break my bones, but words can never right. hurt me. I'm rubber, you're glue. Uh-huh. Yeah, that one. right? Yeah. Yes. Like that isn't how we can problem solve this today. No. That doesn't work. No. Well, and I think that's mostly what I keep hearing, you know, with people that either they're listening to a podcast or looking at my website or whatever, is just like, oh my gosh, growing up, like I was stuffing all that in. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. You had the parent that swooped in to fix everything, or you had the, you know, caretaker that, and especially with our boys, which I really hate to say that, but it's true. It's like, we don't feel that way. Right. And so we're getting over that. And I think the more we're educating about it, getting over that is super important for our kids because we know that this thing that we call emotional intelligence, which is really understanding how we're, we're feeling that own self-awareness, mm-hmm. but also the empathy, the care for how others are feeling. We know how much that helps us throughout life. Like yeah. think about your partners, your coworkers, your parents, like your siblings, like this is important for every walk of life for all of us. But yes, it is something that I don't think we were really aware of Mm -hmm. until more recently. Hey, all it is Joanne and Brie here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe. And it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. 
And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So when you when you talk about the younger kids, when it comes to emotions, what do you see like kids who are like the preschool age and early elementary, like what do they struggle with? the most when it comes to emotions? So I would say the first thing is that when we talk about our younger kids, we also have to remember, of course, like unique needs, unique experiences of life. So for instance, where I taught, not all children, but most children come from, you know, a different background than where my own children go to school right now, you know? So just noticing that the needs are very different no matter where you come from, you know, what are the caretakers like at home? I mean, there are things that that play parts. But in an overall sense, what I would say is at that age, children are egocentric. It's all about me, 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 me. Like, yep. what do I want? <laughs> how do I feel? But then again, they may not actually know how they feel because they don't have the capacity to express it, to label it, to talk about it in the right tone. So what I would say to that is what children are missing or need to build, I guess, at that young age is that self-awareness, like how am I doing and the words to go with that so that we as adults or whatever adults are around them are able to better support where they are at and really the social skills. I mean, I cannot tell you how many conversations I had with parents like telling me how they're, you know five-year-old was this great mathematician. And that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. If the child doesn't understand the sharing and the behavior for the feelings and emotions that we're having, or the ability to just sit in circle time, which I'll tell you as a teacher, I don't always make them sit because not all children (laughs) Uh can sit. But so I do want to put that in there. But those two things, I think that self-awareness and building those social Mm -hmm. skills And you have children that walk into kindergarten that didn't go to preschool or a daycare setting, and this is their very first experience. 
So it kind of depends, again, on that background. Where are they? Where have they come from? And those those needs might look different for our kiddos. But overall, those were the two things I would say would be top. And, you know, I love talking about giving them the words mm-hmm. because as early childhood, I always would say that as parents, I think that the general default setting for most of us parents are to teach our children, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you mad? Yes. Mm-hmm. And there yes. is so yes. much more on that spectrum than happy, mad, and yes. sad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We don't we don't provide them with the words for that. No. And just to jump really quick to that, like the feelings that I created, those are the core feelings, but then I have all the words to grow on, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to teach we can teach it and we should be teaching it, right? So what is the difference between feeling angry or feeling frustrated? Mm-hmm. Right. There is a difference. Is a That's difference, a right? huge difference. Right. And so giving our kiddos the words is so important. And so I always talk about starting with labeling it for them, right? I can see mm-hmm. that you are feeling frustrated right now, or I can see that you are feeling really excited, but giving them that helps them then take that and be like, oh, right now, I this is what frustrated feels like, right? So mm-hmm. not only modeling it ourselves as caretakers or even teachers, right? I mean, it's important for us to model what that looks like and what it sounds like, but it's good for us to tell our kiddos, like, this might be how you're feeling right now. And those are the important things in being able to label it because how do we support our kiddos or our students best if we don't actually know really how they are doing? Yeah, no, it's true because if they can't communicate to others how they're feeling, then others can't support them. They don't know how to support them. Exactly. So naming the feelings, super, super important. Right? Well, and how can they understand their reactions if yes. they don't even understand their emotions to start off with? Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yes. And, you know, going back to (laughs) how our kiddos are feeling, I mean, even in my own household, right? I mean, we have, we had a struggle today, (laughs) you know, with just some big feelings and just being able to find a way to say, it's okay for you to feel that way, but the behavior Mm -hmm. is not okay. You know, exactly. that is is like a big, I use that a lot. You know, uh-huh. just letting them know. I mean, my son is nine and things are pretty smooth most of the time, but when they aren't, which is we're human, it's normal. As you guys say, we're not robots. Like this is so no. important, right? So it's good for me to say to him, like, it's okay you're feeling that way, but it's not okay to behave that way, right? Yeah. Because under all our kids' behaviors are definitely feelings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course, we've been kind of taught to stuff them down and Mm -hmm. don't show we're mad. Mm -hmm. So especially like as parents, sometimes like we are having this discussion this morning with our coaching group that we feel bad when we feel angry. We're like, oh, we shouldn't feel angry. We shouldn't feel angry. And really, it's an emotion that all humans feel. Why why are we feeling shameful about our feelings? Yeah, that's that rough part. Oh, for sure. And I... (laughs) sometimes overuse some of the words with my children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do too. I do too. Right. But that's the other piece to this is being that model for them because it's okay that sometimes, you know, they see 
well, in our household, it's mom and dad, you know, getting into it about something, but we're being respectful. We're, we're having empathy for what the other person is feeling. Like modeling that in that way to me is not, let's go hide in the other room because our kids shouldn't see us having a discussion about this, right? Mm -hmm. It's good for them to see what that looks like and what that feels like and then how that ends. Right. So yeah, all of that modeling and whether it is just myself saying, you know, hey, I am really angry right now at X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take myself in the other room. Yeah. Like for them to be able to recognize I just regulated by walking away. Like, does that strategy work for you too? Mm-hmm. I mean, using those strategies and showing our children what those look like is so important for their learning. I love it. So I've heard you mention like two major things that we can do as parents to help kids with feelings, like labeling the feelings, first of all, and then modeling how we really handle our own feelings and deal with them. What's like one more thing that parents can do and take away? If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. So I would say, so we said modeling and that regulation Mm -hmm. of like showing them too what that looks like. But honestly, I'm going to say teaching empathy. Mm -hmm. I think that that is so important for us to teach our children what their actions might feel or do feel to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because over this past year and a half, I mean, gosh, we've all been in a roller coaster of emotions and feelings and maybe discussions with loved ones that have gone really hard because we've had a lot of hard stuff this year. And we're starting to see things a little more normal. (laughs) But I think even as an adult, finding empathy for where my loved ones, my friends, my family are at with things that have transpired over this last year and a half. Teaching that to our children to me is like the most important thing that we could do because if they can feel and see what someone else might be feeling in any given situation, then having that care and that kindness toward somebody else that might be going through something or feeling something or even behaving in a way that is irrational to them, but understanding that maybe that child or that person's going through something, 
empathy. That's it. Empathy. We have that conversation a lot in my house. A lot of times my daughter will come home and be like, so-and-so was mean and they said this. And just like trying to talk about that. I know, especially with the preteen age who are very, very preoccupied with everyone being fair and everyone being kind and nice. We always say that they, those preteens, they're going back to the preschoolers. (laughs) They are. It is so true. It's all about them. Yes. And it's, and it's all about, but that wasn't, think about the preschoolers. They're always having fights over. It's not fair. They shouldn't have got to win that game. They shouldn't have got to be line Mm -hmm. leader the third time. Yep. It's just, it's, it's more complicated issues, but they come back down to the same core. It's the same core thing. It's just the not realizing that other people have feelings too, that they're not perfect. Not everyone is perfect and can react perfectly all the time. We don't. Uh, And we're, no, and we know it, right? Like we're, we are a piece of the educated, you know, group on this exact topic, but Mm -hmm. we're not, we still mess up. I mess up. (laughs) Oh yeah. I might've messed up just this morning. I'm telling you, but You know, I think that it is so important for us to have our children be able to, as we can say, like stand in someone else's shoes and feel Mm -hmm. that, why are they feeling this way? And what could I do to support or help? And even if it's someone they hurt, right? And it's not, you're not the onlooker, maybe you're the person that that hurt somebody. And then Mm -hmm. taking the perspective and understanding what to do. Even like as adults, we just need to do that. Like you hear so often, like something goes on on the playground and like a parents, they shouldn't have done that. They need to get punished yep. and not showing that same empathy oh, that we so want yes. like kids to have. Yeah, those, those parent groups like on Facebook, like I, I'm going to roll back to that because that's my experience. The parenting groups on Facebook, like, you know, all parents of kids at such and such school. Man, empathy is a big one that you're like, okay, people, let's take a step back. So I (laughs) personally had to get out of all of that this last year because I think having been an educator and really having my own heart and my own personal feelings, which I don't need to get into, but just about how this last year and a half went for our amazing, incredible teachers Mm -hmm. was so rough for me to witness and the empathy that I had for all of my friends that are still, you know, out there doing the hard Stuff. And this year was just a challenge in so many ways. And they rose and did amazing. I mean, my children had two incredible teachers that did just everything and anything that they could to keep engaged. And so for me, it was really hard to watch the the chatter of everyone feeling this way. And it's like, no, that's not actually everyone doesn't feel this way, you mm-hmm. know? So that was hard for me. It yeah. is. I wanted to find empathy for some of it, but it it was hard sometimes. My own healthcare was get out. Get out. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes walking away is the best thing you can model to your kids. And like shout out to our amazing teachers and uh, all all the parents who were that way. Like, I mean, just just showing like an empathetic view. I know that they were probably struggling themselves and they had no idea how to handle it. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I'm going to throw out there even from like when the pandemic started, I was the director of a preschool for a school district trying to pivot Uh that curriculum so that we could support the kids and the parents and the kids at home. And then just pivoting, 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 like we're going to open. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. We can, we can have this many kids. No, we can't. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. But then that kind of went back to that whole, like, 
you think you're the only one that's dealing with the back and forth or the we're closed, we're open or we're staying remote. And it's like, no, this was happening worldwide. And it feels like it's just your community when in reality, no, not everybody's fully open. No, not everybody is dealing with this in the same way. And and it was just, I'm glad we're getting to where we are because we know you know, some kids, this was great for though. Some kids being home and having that time over the computer was actually like a more valuable place for them. And so I hope that families did get to learn from this year what might be, you know, something different for their own child, which I think is incredible. And if you didn't get that time, time isn't lost. You can still work on emotions. You can still work on modeling this stuff. Yes. Every day. Mm -hmm. And going back to that, you know, I feel that what most parents were asking for was the social emotional learning and connection. And how do we get that? And so when I was saying before about that bridge at home is as parents and caretakers, please don't have the expectation that that's where it all happens is at school. Mm -hmm. Like it has to be at home also. You have to find whatever the right resources and tools are for your family, for your toolkit. And one child is going to be different than another. We all know that. I mean, I just wrote up actually a blog about our children being orchids, dandelions, or tulips. And I don't know if you've heard this analogy, but like an orchid needs to be tended to in a very specific environment in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. And a dandelion can kind of grow in the cracks of your concrete, right? So it can kind of like be everywhere. And then I learned of the third one, which is the tulip, which is kind of that in between. And I think our kids can probably, you could probably say your kiddo could kind of fit in any of those. Like where are their sensitivity levels? Does it look different at home than at school? Mm -hmm. But remember that it probably does look different at home and at school. And you're probably really glad that it does because I know I am. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My son at home will will get upset about certain things, but at school it would never happen that way. So, But I get to be a frontline teacher for him Mm -hmm. with those emotions and that behavior so that when he goes off to school and he's learning more social-emotional learning from his teachers and the counselors, that I'm also bridging that at home. It's just yes. really important. Yes. Yay for emotional intelligence Yay! and teaching it at home yes. too. Yes. Well, yes. thank you so much, Marcel. <laughs> like, and the amazing, amazing work that you do. Uh, it has been you. a pleasure talking to you and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You too as well. Thank you. So feeling the feelings and developing that empathy is so important and so like emotionally taxing, I feel, as a parent. Like, do you feel it? Yeah, yeah. No, like, so when we were talking with Marcel, we mentioned like how... You, we feel so much guilt as parents. Yeah. When we, when our kids are, are not our, I don't want to blame our kids, but I'm just going to be like our family. When we're mad, when we're upset, we're like, oh, I shouldn't be mad at them for this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I shouldn't be upset about this. And you know what? Like when we try to stuff those feelings down and not let our kids see our full range, they think that they have to be perfect and stuff their feelings down. It's true. And it's also hard when we're dealing with grandparents, for instance. I don't know if you've had this, but like my kids will have a meltdown around grandparents and my parents parents will be like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And oh, I'm yeah. like, no, like right. we need to explore this feeling. And they're like, you don't need to do all that. And so you feel like all of this work you're doing as a parent to help kids name their feelings and feel their feelings is kind of minimized. 
It is. Well, and I think that you brought up a really good point. Like mm-hmm. that was what our earlier generations were taught. Yeah. You just suck it up and you move through it. And yeah, stuffing suck up down. A deal. Yeah. Yeah. Stuffing down emotions don't really help you process them. And perhaps that's why we have such a huge issue with emotional regulation mm-hmm. and resilience these days. I mean, we're in a stressful situation. We're in a tough, tough spot. It's been a hard couple of years. It has. Uh, we're going back to school right now. And going back to school is hard on everybody, normally. And I mean, like, be even not even talking about the pandemic before that, for feelings, I eat too. Oh, so many. All my feelings. You know me. I'm like, I love to eat my feelings. Because, I'm always working through that. Yeah, you always have to do something to cope. And a lot of us have chosen eating. And really, if we want to give our kids the skills for the future, we can give them these coping skills and they don't have to have this relationship with food that we struggle with. I know, I know. So I really hope that you guys got everything out of this episode that Joanne and I did. I mean, talking about your feelings, modeling them for your kids, teaching them about empathy. Don't stuff them down. Talk about them. Work through the problems. This is only going to help your kids. Yes. And remember the best mom is a happy mom who feels all her feelings. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking